Well, good morning. It's good to gather with you this morning. My name is Justin, one of the pastors here at Redeeming Grace Church. And uh, if this is your first time or first few times, welcome. We're grateful that you're here and glad to be able to worship together. And those that are members and regular attenders, it's good to see you and be with you as well. You know, I was thinking uh, as Lauren was talking about Hypo Week that's coming up soon, uh, that I just really want to encourage you to engage in that uh, if you haven't already, to come out to make plans for that. After uh, last year with COVID stuff and the year before, we haven't been able to quite engage in it in the same way. But this year, uh, we're going to have guests in the building staying here overnight. And man, isn't it a great blessing the Lord has provided this place for us to be able to do something like that. One of my hopes for our church is that we would be a merciful community to our community. That as we receive the mercy of Christ, we would show it to those around us. And for this week in, uh, in the life of our church, we get to do just that as we serve and love on people uh, in our community. So if you haven't signed up yet, please make plans to do that. Uh, I'd love to serve alongside of you uh, during that week. Uh, we're going to have our scripture reading now out of First uh, John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. to be our sermon text today, and Martha is going to read that for us now. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, we come before you today in humility and in need of grace. God, we are lost without you. So we acknowledge that this morning. We acknowledge our need for you. God, thank you that we can even come before you at all. Thank you for your living and active word that we get to open now. And I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you'd have for us today. God, we also do pray for hypothermia week that's coming up for our church here in a few weeks. God, help us to be a merciful community to our community. We might show the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ to those that we get to interact with. And God, this morning, my heart is heavy just for what's going on in Eastern Europe. God, I pray for the Ukraine. I pray for the countries in that area. God, I pray for those that are in the military, both that are in the military in our own country and other countries in that region. God, I pray for civilians, for leaders that are making decisions. Would you give wisdom? Would you protect? God, I pray that you would crush evil. And I pray that you bring about peace and not war. And so we pray for them. We pray for the church there to continue to exalt the name of Christ even in the face of adversity. Help us to remember our brothers and sisters. And God, now as, I, as we open up your word, would you do a work in us and through us today that would glorify you 
Lord, be for our good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I enjoy uh, a good story, whether that be a, a TV show or a good fiction book or a movie. You know, good stories, they, they draw you in and they keep you engaged, captivated the whole time. The thing about stories, though, is that they all have conclusions. Eventually, they all come to an end. And sometimes those conclusions can feel unresolved or open-ended. They can feel like there's questions that aren't quite answered, things that aren't quite tied up. Other conclusions sometimes tie off in a nice, neat bow. And sometimes conclusions are epic. We've all seen those movies where we didn't see the end coming, something big or surprising that leaves you in awe. Well, as we come to our text today in 1 John, we come to the conclusion of 1 John. And what we see in this text is a somewhat unusual, almost poetic conclusion, but a conclusion that's wonderful. One that's wonderful and it impacts your life and my life here and now. The Apostle John has been writing this letter to a group of struggling Christ followers, struggling Christians who are, who are feeling pulled away from their faith into false ideas about who God is, what it means to know him, false ideas about what it means to actually follow Jesus. They're being tempted to wander away from Christ. You and I find ourselves in a similar place. We have constant messages that tempt us to false belief, that tempt us to disobedience or to disenchantment as you and I seek to live life in a world that is set against our king and his kingdom. The reality is, no matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, we all need help to remain faithful. We all need help to remain faithful. And as John concludes his letter, that's exactly what he gives to us. These are parting words from John, but they're not perfunctory. They're intentional. They're meaningful. They're important for us to hear today and to live out in our lives tomorrow and in the days ahead. So no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, whether you're feeling really full of faith in Jesus right now or you're struggling, whether you are confident in Christ or you're just checking out who he is, my hope is for all of us that we will leave today with a greater grasp of all that is yours or all that can be yours in Christ now, no matter what lies ahead. So let's dive into 1 John chapter 5 for the last time this morning. And may God bless the preaching of his word. Like I said, John wants to help us to remain faithful. And to do that, he tells us about the wonderful inheritance that we have in and through Jesus. An inheritance that starts and ends with eternal life. Last week, Mark ended his sermon in verse 13. And today I'm starting my sermon in verse 13. Because verse 13 is the whole point of why John is writing his letter. Look at verse 13 with me again. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. When John says he writes to those who believe, this isn't about people who've believed in the past. It's about present belief, active belief, continuing belief in faith in Jesus. That's what John means when he says to believe in his name. That's shorthand for the totality of who Jesus is, all that he embodies, the Savior King of the world. So is that you? Do you have a present faith in the real and risen Jesus? Well, if so, John wants you to know something. He wants you to know that you have eternal life. 
Now, as Mark mentioned last Sunday, eternal life is Jesus and with Jesus. Eternal life isn't about getting your ticket to heaven punched so that you can have fun forever. No, it's about getting to be with your Savior, see him face to face in a place that has no more suffering and no more sin. John wants you to know, he wants you to be assured that this is true of you if you've believed and continue to believe in Jesus, in who he says he is, in what he said he came to do, to die in your place on the cross, to rescue and redeem you from your sins so that you might be reconciled to God. Now maybe some of you struggle to believe that to be true. At least maybe for yourself. You might say other people, sure, they can be assured of their eternal life, of their salvation, but I'm not so sure about myself. Maybe you struggle with sin that just continues to kind of creep up in your life and you wonder, maybe God is going to reject me or push me away. Maybe he made a mistake with me. Maybe he doesn't really know all the details of my life. And if he did, he'd cast me off. John wants you to know that that's not the case. He wants you to understand and remember that if you've been born of God, it's because God gave you that life, not because you figured it out. This means that you can have this kind of assurance of eternal life, not because of your perfect obedience or record or your own ability, but because Jesus died and Jesus rose again. You can have assurance of eternal life because it's about God and his ability to give it, his ability to guarantee it. Remember, if you have eternal life, it's been given to you out of the overflow of God's grace, his character and his nature. God is the one who saves you, which means that God is the one who will keep you and preserve you to the end. John wants you to know that. He wants you to know that because it gives you security and it gives you peace to know that you belong to God, never to be cast off. In an unstable world, this is a sure and steady anchor. Really, I think that's the point of this, to to give you a sure and unchanging hope even when you mess up along the way. That's why we also can't downplay the significance of the word eternal John doesn't say that God promises you temporary life. This salvation doesn't have an expiration date on it like your milk and your refrigerator. No, this is everlasting life. There's nothing else like this in your experience in life. You don't graduate from college or high school and get an eternal job. Praise the Lord. Some of you know that first job you had. You're glad it's not still happening. You don't try out for a baseball team and get an eternal spot on the roster. Even things from your relationships to your resources ebb and flow and change over time. But when you've been born of God, everything has changed for you now and forever. Never to be deported out of the kingdom of God. Never to have that eternal life revoked from him, from you, back to him. John wants to make sure that you know that to be true of yourself because this isn't just about your glorious future and that day when we can't wait to see our Savior face to face. It's about here and now of life. See, verse 13 is the concluding point of this whole letter. 
It acts as a final call to faith, a final call to understanding for living life in a world knowing that you have eternal life, locked down and secured in and through Jesus. But obviously John didn't put his pen down and stop writing after he put the period on the end of this particular sentence. What follows is a sort of P.S., a postscript of encouragement and exhortation in light of this reality. So we have this reality of eternal life, this inheritance you have that you can know is yours because God is faithful and God is true. And so in light of that, in light of Christ and this rich inheritance you have, John wants to say, hey, listen, though, there's more to unpack from that. So he gives us three things, three things to help you and I remain faithful as we wait for that day when Jesus comes again calls us home. Now, at first glance, these next few verses kind of remind me of a few of my bookshelves in my office. They look fairly neat from first appearances, but if you look a little closer, you might ask me, well, why are those books here and those books here? Because if you start to scan them, they're not in alphabetical order. They're not really in theme order, but it all makes sense to me. So if you want to know where one of the books is, I say, oh, I know where that is. I can go pull it off the shelf for you. I have to explain it to you. And I think if I explain it to you, then you'll understand the rhyme and reason of my bookshelf and the bobbleheads on top. I think that's kind of what's going on here. John shares this vision of eternal life we have, and then he gives us these various thoughts that at first glance might appear detached and disconnected, but he has a purpose. He's intentional with what he's writing. This is God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we have to pay attention to it and see that even though the organization may not first be clear to us, it is interrelated. And it brings us to this wonderful conclusion to a grace-rich letter. What he shows us in these remaining verses that flow out of the truth of verse 13 is what we have, what we know, and what we do. So let's start with what we have. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. John writes, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Because of what Jesus has accomplished, because we are secure in him, because our inheritance of eternal life is locked down and assured, what we have is confidence before God. And in particular, confidence before God in prayer. First, as it relates to ourselves. I mean, it's amazing that you and I can come before God at all, let alone in confidence. We don't deserve that. God's not obligated to receive us. Because of our rebellion, it would make more sense for him to smite us. But because God is love, he sent his son in love into a world wrecked by sin to rescue and redeem. And now, because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, we can come before him, not in trepidation. We can come before him, not in uncertainty. We can come before him in confidence to ask him anything, anything. John says, anything according to his will, which means what we see, what we know from his word and from his character. Listen, if you want to know God's revealed will, you have to be in God's word and attentive to God's spirit. I love that John also says something, these three little words here, he hears us. 
He hears us. The God of all creation who called everything into being by the power of his word, who has no beginning and no end, hears us. This is amazing grace. Our God isn't aloof or detached. He's never too busy. He's never unavailable. He's attentive to our prayers because he cares for us. And the result, John says, is that if we that we know that we have these requests we've asked of him when they are according to his will. Now, this can be hard because we've all had experiences when we feel like God isn't hearing us. Or we've asked something of him and it hasn't been given to us in the way that we'd hope, even though we feel like it is in line with his will. When that happens, what we can remember, what we can take from these verses in the whole of Scripture is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is a God that is compassionate. He's a God that comforts, and he's a God that cares. He's a God that loves you. He's a God that is committed to making you more and more like his son, our Savior. We may not always know what he's up to. We may not always know why he doesn't answer in the way that we hope. Maybe you've prayed for your children for a long time to come to know and follow Jesus, and they haven't yet. Maybe you've prayed to be able to have kids or to get married. Maybe you've prayed for things going on in the world, for there to be justice or hope for those that are struggling right now, and it just doesn't seem to be coming to fruition. I've experienced this in my own life. Think about a conversation I had with one of my kids recently. He's working through some things and talking about praying, and he says, I do pray, but God isn't helping me. I said, buddy, just keep praying. We don't know what God's up to, but we can trust him. We know that he's for us. You can know that he always is at work for your good. Always at work for your good. You can have confidence in that. And you can rest in the fact that God hears for you and he cares for you and he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. So brother, sister, keep on praying. Keep on asking. Persevere in that. Because as you do that, you get more and more of him. Listen, because you belong to God, because you have the sure inheritance of eternal life in and through Jesus, you can have confidence before God in prayer for yourself, but also for one another. Look at verses 16 and 17. John says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death, I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now these few verses have garnered much debate and speculation. John doesn't tell us the specifics about what he means by sin that does not lead to death and sin that does lead to death. It seems like his readers must have known what he was talking about because he doesn't give any further explanation. And John knew what he was talking about. But we don't know what he's talking about. We don't know exactly what he's getting at here. What we do know is that we should pray for one another when we see a brother or sister straying towards sin so that that brother or sister may have life and not death. Why? Because he tells us in verse 17, all sin is serious. This means that community is essential for our spiritual journey. We're not meant to live this life disconnected, kind of out there on our own. We need one another to be able to walk in faithfulness to God, to remain faithful. But I love that John says pray. Pray when you see your brother and sister, which 
by the way, requires you to be living life close enough with people to actually observe one another's lives. It says when you see that brother or sister, he doesn't say go rebuke them. He doesn't say go confront them. There's a time and a place for that. No, he starts with prayer. What would it look like if that's where we started to? That when we see a brother or sister wandering away or walking in disobedience, that instead of running to them, we'd run to the throne of grace and intercede for them and plead with God, asking the God who hears to lead them to repentance and in turn life. Listen, if you're a member of this church, that's what you've committed to do for one another, to come alongside one another, to help one another, to pray for one another. Prayer for another person who's struggling with sin is the gift of community. Because the reality is we all struggle with sin. And when we know that our brothers and sisters are praying for us, when we take up that call, it helps us all to finish the race so that we'll receive the unfading crown of glory in the resurrection. Listen, we can try and figure out what the difference is between sin that does not lead to death and sin that does lead to death. But at the end of the day, we don't know. And if we're honest, we don't need encouragement not to pray, but to pray. So let's lean in and lean on the side of generosity and pray for one another no matter what the struggle is. Pray for God's holiness to overwhelm that brother or sister. Pray for God's kindness to lead them to repentance. Pray for God's grace to engulf them and lead them back to Jesus. Pray, trusting that God desires to help them grow to maturity in Christ as together we walk in light and life, the life of Jesus. Sin is serious, but because of the secured inheritance of eternal life, every follower of Jesus has, sin does not defeat us which leads us to the next thing that flows out of the truth of verse 13, and that's what we know. Look at verses 18 through 20. John writes, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What we know is the certainty of who we are and whose we are. John reminds us again that because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, we are men and women who belong to God. We are his you know, in, in the movie Toy Story, where Andy writes his name on the bottom of the boots, the shoes, God has written his name on you. You belong to him. It's not going to get painted over. It's not going to get rubbed off. That is who you are. That is whose you are. And because you've been born of God, he says, something's changed for you. You do not keep on sinning. Now, that may sound odd because if you think about your own life, you're like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> Like I said this morning, what does this mean exactly? Well, it doesn't mean that you won't struggle with sin if you're a Christian and born again and belong to God. What it means is, is that because of who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ, you're no longer captive to sin. If you belong to God, you can know now that you have the ability by God's spirit to say no to sin. 
Galatians chapter 2, Romans chapter 6. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Why? Because I've been crucified with him. Because I died when Christ died. And I've been raised to new life with Jesus. That means I'm dead to sin and alive to God. The jail cell and the chains have been broken and open. You can walk out by grace in the power of the Holy Spirit. Before God saved you, though, that wasn't true. But it's true now. Because of the eternal life that is yours now. And more than that, John tells you, you're not on your own. When he says, he who was born of God, he's talking about Jesus He protects you from the temptations of the enemy. Look at verse 19. He says very matter-of-factly, we are from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that the enemy has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus. Our enemy distracts. He seeks to discredit the good news of Jesus among those who do not believe. He spews lies of prosperity and peace apart from Christ and the cross. And for the believer, he can't have you. You belong to God. He can't have you, but he certainly comes at you and comes against you. He tempts your flesh to disbelieve that God is good and is for you. He tempts you to walk in disobedience again, but get the good news of this. Jesus is not only your redeemer, he's also your protector. He's your advocate. Isn't this amazing news? You don't fight temptation against sin on your own. Jesus protects you because Jesus has been tempted in every way that you are yet without sin and he is sitting on his throne of grace and he is ready to help through the work of his spirit in your life. All of what John has said is possible because Jesus has come and Jesus has given us understanding. Understanding of who God is Understanding of who he is, understanding of who we are in light of that and our desperate need for grace and redemption. And who is Jesus? Look at verse 20 again. It says, he is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is not some good teacher or a moral man or a God. He is God and he is eternal life and he has come to us to rescue us brothers and sisters, we were once blind and dead in our sin. We were sitting in darkness, unable and unwilling to knowledge God or our need for him. But God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This understanding then isn't about academics. It's not about theological head knowledge. Brothers and sisters, he's given us understanding so that we might know him and be known by him. This is about relationship in union with the one true God and eternal life that is now and forever. How does this come about? Because the Holy Spirit gives us ears to hear and eyes to see. He breathes life into dead men and women. Now listen, if you don't yet call yourself a Christian, first off, I'm just glad that you're gathering with us today. But if Jesus isn't king, if he isn't Lord of your life, let me implore you to come by faith to him today, even now. Jesus died on the cross for sinners. He rose again from the grave to give you life. So come out of darkness into light. Come out of death and come alive. Place your faith in him. Jesus is the sure and steady foundation. He is the unshakable king. He is who he says he is. The way and the truth and the life. 
that he is the source of great peace and hope, the only one. It doesn't stop there, though. John's got more to say. See, when we recognize who we are, when we recognize what we have and what we know in him, it enables us then to live a life that's consistent with our identity and belief, to remain faithful in the place that we find ourselves, which leads John to end his letter with what we do. Look at verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Most letters we see in the New Testament end in a little bit more of a relational way. I'm reading Romans right now, and Paul ends that letter with greetings and final exhortations and praise. But this letter, it ends a little more abruptly and directly. There's no final greetings, no words of praise, just a strong exhortation given with a few words. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John's pastoral heart has been on display throughout this letter, and he cares deeply for this group of people. He has the affection of a father for his children for this struggling group of Christ followers. So out of his fatherly heart, he gives them, he gives us this final exhortation. Kind of reminds me of my dad. Whenever we leave my parents' house or are heading out somewhere, he always tells us to be careful. And if it's the fall, he says, and watch out for the deer. Every time, without fail. Now, why does he say that? Because he cares about his kids. He cares about his grandkids, and so he's exhorting us in love, be alert, pay attention. John's kind of doing the same thing. What he's saying is, kids, watch out. Watch out for what will pull you away from Jesus. In light of everything he's written in this letter about belief and love and obedience, in light of our inheritance of eternal life, he calls us to this action. These are his final words. It may be a short phrase telling us what we are to do, but it's not a throwaway phrase. It's packed with meaning for everything he's just said. And so we need to see it for what it is, the life-altering, guiding call and command that it is to help us to remain faithful. And we have to recognize there are so many things that are vying for our attention and our affection in this life. Like I've said before, the culture around us is constantly preaching at us. It's sending a message of where to find happiness and where to find life and where to find joy and where to find hope. It gives promises of peace. It takes good things and turns them into ultimate things. But if you and I are not aware of that, if we're not on guard against that, these empty promises that are out there, we too can be tempted to travel down roads that don't lead to life but lead to death. When John's talking about idols here, he isn't talking only about little golden statues. He's talking about anything or anyone that pulls you away from the real and risen Jesus. Now, I know for me, and maybe for some of you, that can be things like chasing after the praise of men, or the accumulation of comforts, or the acquiring of more information or knowledge. Maybe for some of you, it's about romance or relationships, academic or professional achievements. Listen, all of those things are not necessarily bad in themselves. It's when they become primary. It's when you start to believe that you will, they will, whatever those things are will complete you or fulfill you or give you life. It's when you start to believe that they can offer you or give you something that God can't or God won't. 
See, keeping yourself from idols means keeping yourself from trusting and worshiping and following anyone or anything above the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That means that keeping yourself from idols isn't about just about false worship, but false allegiance, which is ultimately a denial of Christ as King. Now, there's a lot of that going on out there, but I don't want it to be something that happens in here in, in the midst of this community. So how do we do this? How do we keep ourselves from idols? Well, it starts with what we've just seen and heard. It starts with the inheritance of eternal life that we have. And in light of that, what we have, confidence before God in prayer to ask for help and what we know, the certainty of who we are and whose we are. But this call to keep yourself from idols is not a call to muscle up and work harder or do better. And it's certainly not a call to try and do it on your own. God doesn't leave us to that. No, we have to remember that we have Jesus as our protector and also we have the Spirit as our helper. God has given us his Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear and eyes to see, to empower us, to encourage us, to remind us of what we have and what we know and what we do. He's given us the spirit to cultivate more and more of this eternal life that we've been given. So if you are going to be an overcomer, like we saw a few weeks ago, if we are going to be faithful in belief and in love and obedience, if we're going to keep ourselves from idols and keep following Jesus, because friends, Jesus really is better. He really is better than anything the world promises you. If we're going to be able to do any of that, it will be by the power and the work of the spirit who helps us. Listen, because that is true, you can keep yourself from idols. You can remain faithful in a faithless world because everything has changed for you. Your salvation and heavenly citizenship are secure and your father and your protector and your helper are with you and for you. So if you're finding yourself feeling discouraged or disillusioned, cry out to our triune God for help. If you are feeling apathetic, or distracted, cry out to Father, Son, and Spirit for hope. If you're walking in disobedience and unbelief, cry out to our faithful God for forgiveness and grace. This world may lie in the power of the evil one, but you are not on your own here. You have God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and you have his people, this group right here, filled with the Spirit to help one another. You know, this whole letter has been about our life together with Jesus. So maybe this is exactly what we should say to one another when we part company. And it's what I say to you now. Brothers and sisters, keep yourselves from idols.